Hello and welcome to the AMA Update video and podcast. Today we're discussing the big health policy issues to watch in 2023. And I'm joined by Dr. Lena Wen, an emergency physician and professor of health policy and management at George Washington University. She's also a CNN medical analyst and op-ed columnist for The Washington Post, where she writes a weekly column and anchors the Post newsletter, The Checkup with Dr. Wen. I'm Todd Unger, AMA's Chief Experience Officer in Chicago. Uh, Dr. Wen, welcome back. Thank you so much, Todd. Happy New Year. Great to be with you again. Uh, Excellent. It's good to see you. It's been uh, a year since we last talked. And uh, in the meantime, and very recently, you just authored uh, an opinion piece about the top 10 health policy issues for 2023. These are issues that you're tracking and plan to write about in future columns and are also issues that should be on physicians' radar. And while we don't have time to discuss all 10 here, we're going to go through a bunch of them. Uh, people can find your full article at thewashingtonpost.com. COVID, of course, is at the top of your list. And while much of the country has decided to move on in some respects, the immunocompromised and those that are suffering from long COVID are still fighting uphill battles. Uh, where does the focus need to be with COVID for 2023? Yeah, I think it's exactly what you said, Todd, which is that we have to remember that as much as so many people have moved on and have resumed pre-pandemic activities, there are millions of Americans who have not. We need to develop better vaccines, better treatments. Now we know with new variants emerging that the treatments that we have may not be as effective. And so we need to really put our emphasis on helping those who are the most vulnerable. There's a lot of attention to you that needs to be placed on long COVID, including how to characterize it, what to treat long COVID with. And then I'll add one more, which is that the state of public health emergency around COVID is probably going to end in the near future. And along with it, there are going to be a lot of changes, including flexibilities around telemedicine. Some of them might not be there anymore. Redetermination, Medicaid eligibility, we might have a lot of people who could lose their health insurance. And so I think the policy implications of what happens when that state of public health emergency ending is something that all of us will be impacted by and should uh, pay close attention to too. Yeah, that's very interesting. I mean, we just got uh, another extension, but I think you're right. It's not going to last forever and a lot of implications there. Now, you've had a good view of uh, the public health uh, discussion here and particularly around infrastructure. We're several years into this, obviously. Do you see the infrastructure that it's taken to deal with this pandemic is getting stronger or not kind of where it needs to be at this point to prepare for what the future might hold? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think it's twofold. On the one hand, there is a lot more attention to public health in a way that we have not had for really ever, um, in the sense that people now understand the difference between their local and state health department. They're seeing what we say in public health, which is that public health saved your life today, you just don't know it, right? That there is generally no face of public health, but now there is a face of public health and it's played out during COVID. And I think there is, for a lot of places, they're, they're seeing the impacts of additional funding to try to build their public health infrastructure, to try to sustain their their health workforce. So I think in some ways that's good. But actually, I'm really worried about this overall. We're seeing that routine childhood immunizations have decreased. We've seen vaccine hesitancy increase. We've seen that because people have equated public health with COVID and because COVID has become so polarized and politicized, unfortunately. But that, I think, has also made public health now in the crosshairs of our political uh, culture 
culture wars. And so I do worry about what this means for public health going forward. We have a lot of state legislatures, more than half of state legislatures have specifically passed legislation that limits the authority of public health officials going forward. And so in many ways, I think we're less prepared for the next pandemic, not because of science. The science has really delivered in the case of COVID. I mean, we have these amazing vaccines, we have great treatments and so forth. But I worry that whatever um, politicization around COVID has now bled into other aspects of public health, making it even harder for us to respond as a society to future public health threats. Yeah, the news on the broader issue of childhood immunizations, it's really troubling. We talked about that earlier this week. Uh, with our uh, head of science and public uh, public health, um, you know, and you mentioned basically it could be a byproduct of that equating uh, public health and COVID. I mean, given what you're seeing right now, what can physicians out there do in 2023 to help reverse, you know, this very very troubling trend? Yeah, it's a great question, and I think it begins with acknowledging that this has happened, right? I mean, the data are there. The CDC just published, as you mentioned, this um, the the quite dramatic decline um, in terms of um, in terms of percentages of of children who have gotten their routine immunizations. It's due to a variety of factors, including disruptions in healthcare, disruptions in school, vaccine hesitancy. We have to acknowledge that that's there. Um, Kaiser Family Foundation back in December did a poll that found that more than a third of parents opposed um, mandating childhood vaccinations for school, even if there are health risks to other children. That's substantially increased from 2019 when a a similar Pew research study found that it was less than a quarter of parents opposed those types of requirements. And so I do think that the opposition against the COVID vaccines have really bled into opposition to the routine childhood immunizations that we have long accepted. And I actually think that one thing we can do so first is having the conversation with parents, opening the door in a non-judgmental way, making sure that we are talking about this the same way that we would have pre-pandemic. I also think that we need to not have vaccine equivalency. The COVID vaccines are not equivalent to the other vaccines. The polio vaccine is more than 99% effective at preventing paralytic polio. Measles vaccine is more than 97% at preventing um, measles infection and transmission. The COVID vaccines are very effective at preventing severe disease, but they're not that degree of effective that I think we should be pushing them the same way that we're pushing the measles um, and, um, and, and polio and other vaccines. And so I think recognizing that what has happened with COVID is really unfortunate. I really wish that COVID were not politicized in this way, but recognizing that it has been, I think it's time for us to try to separate out the administration of routine childhood immunizations from COVID vaccine. You took care of the nation. It's time for the nation to take care of you. The AMA stood by America's physicians and patients during the pandemic, and we're not stopping there. We're fixing prior authorization, leading the charge on Medicare payment reform, supporting telehealth, fighting scope creep, and reducing physician burnout. It's time to rebuild, and the AMA is ready. To learn more about the AMA Recovery Plan for America's Physicians, go to ama-assn.org slash time to rebuild. Well, Dr. Wen, mental health is another big area of concern. We're seeing skyrocketing rates of burnout at record levels. 
Uh, it's one of the reasons the AMA has been continuing to address mental health issues among physicians. What areas do you see needing attention in 2023? And what's your take on the use of novel therapies to treat mental health issues? Well, we have a long way to go when it comes to any kind of mental health parity. I would love to see us being able to treat mental health the same way that we treat any physical health issues. That if somebody is coming in with depression, we would treat them just as if they have diabetes, recognizing that it's these are complex issues, but that we need to get people the treatment that they need when they need it. We need to work on insurance issues and insurance reimbursement. We need to work on access and making sure that we have the providers that people need. There needs to be specifically attention to youth. We have seen that rates of depression, anxiety, suicidality, et cetera, among youth have really increased um, during the pandemic, and we have to be attentive to that. Closely related to mental health also are um, our addiction um, issues as well, and increasing treatment for opioid addiction, treating addiction as the disease that it is also needs to be top of our agenda as well. Now, you mentioned the use of, um, of novel treatments. Um, I, I think it's a good thing for us to have more data. Um, I would just be careful about some of this. And specifically, I know this is not exactly on the topic necessarily mental health, but related to this is um, I wrote a column recently about the dangers of marijuana use in young people. And specifically that um, that two things can be true at once, that it could both be true that decriminalizing marijuana use um, may be important because we know that um, that uh, uh, that the policies around incarceration um, have put black and brown people at disproportionate rates in jail for marijuana possession. But at the same time, we should not be normalizing marijuana use in young people because there are substantial detrimental impacts on the developing brain and the developing brain, including um, high school age um, um, adolescents, college age students too. And so I think we just need to be careful as things like psychedelics get rolled out. Um, yes, we need to be studying them in a rigorous manner, but let's not try to normalize their use in recreational ways. Uh, absolutely. Um, another big one on your list is maternal health. And you've said that this issue is near and dear to your heart. Why do you think this is one to watch in 2023? Well, it was one to watch in 2018. It was one to watch in 2019 and then took a back seat because understandably everything took a back seat during COVID. But we still have a situation where women today who are pregnant are more likely to die in pregnancy than our mothers. We have a situation where um, black women, um, there are huge disparities um, that that uh, that exist in particular for black women and black ma um, maternal health is something that we have to pay attention to. And I think this sheds light on the fact that the um, the uh, it's not just about health during the pregnancy it's also about health before and after pregnancy as well and so there are policies that various states for example or community organizations have implemented um, that have been successful in making a dent in maternal mortality and i think it's important that we study those policies and um and i'll be i'm looking forward to writing about it well chronic disease uh continues to be a challenge for the country and as you point out Heart disease and cancer are the leading causes of death in the U.S. What do you see happening on this front in 2023? And has uh, the Biden administration's cancer moonshot, which aims to cut the death rate from cancer by 50 percent over the next 25 years, made any progress? Well, there's a lot on tobacco regulation that the Biden administration, the FDA, is um, is proposing. And if they're able to make a dent, 
in tobacco regulation because that's smoking is the number one cause, preventable cause of, of disease, we will be able to make a huge dent in cancer just through tobacco re- regulation alone. So I definitely think that there's there's good promise there. And we also have to look at the number two cause of preventable deaths, which is obesity. Um, childhood obesity is a major issue. Um, uh, obesity has also is another one of the issues that was a pand- or an epidemic prior to COVID and has gotten worse since then. And so I think we also need to pay attention to these underlying conditions, if you will, that COVID has highlighted and has worsened, but that existed before. And all of chronic diseases um, would would fall into that category. And so I think this is something that we as physicians are very much attentive to. And and there are things that can be done, um, whether it's on the policy level or whether it's interventions in um, in the clinical setting, for example, screening on social determinants of health, better connection with community resources around food and housing and so forth um, and pay attention to population health metrics. Those are all the types of things that can make a difference. And I would expect um, that the Biden administration is also looking to highlight through their um, their policy changes as well. Well, the last one we're going to talk about today has certainly been on everybody's mind in the wake of DeMar Hamlin's collapse on the football field, and that's injury prevention. You've been vocal about how to make contact sports safer. What needs to be heard on this topic in 2023 and how do physicians help here? Yeah, so two things here, um, Todd. The first is that with DeMar Hamlin, I wrote a column for the Washington Post on how as dangerous as football is, as violent of a sport as that is, this is not the situation to be pointing to to say there's a problem with football. Um, and in fact, that's that the situation specifically with Demar Hamlin. I think there is a lesson to draw from that, which is the importance of of having people being trained in CPR, of having having AEDs be widely available. But that aside, I've also been writing a separate series on, as you mentioned, how to make football and um, and other contact sports safer. Um, and um, and it's it's interesting because when you look at pro sports, including the NFL. They've actually taken a number of steps that youth sports has not. And one of those steps is to limit um, limit tackling, full life tackling during practice. Um, in football, just like in other sports, you are in you are playing games a lot less than you're um, than you're practicing. And if you're able to cut out the um, the blows to the head, basically, you're also able to to reduce your lifetime likelihood of getting um, of, of having severe brain injury, including CTE, chronic traumatic encephalopathy, which is not just due to concussions, but also to subconcussive hits to the head. And so I had written about, for example, how Dartmouth College, their football team actually cut out all life tackling during practice. There's a group also called Practice Like Pros, P-R-O-S, Practice Like Pros, um, which is urging youth and high school football to cut out um, uh, uh, live tackling during their practices. And so it's I think of this as harm reduction. We're not going to be get. We're not trying to get people to not play any sports um, or to never do head in soccer or hockey or uh, or football. But rather, are there things that we can do to try to make these sports safer? And I think those are the types of things that we as clinicians might get asked about as well. And looking to these examples of successful interventions that have um, that have allowed kids to play sports at a very high level, but have also reduced their likelihood of injury specifically of head injury, I think um, those are the types of examples that we should be looking at. 
Well, it sounds like we have a lot on our plate for 2023. It's going to be a busy year. And again, to see Dr. Wen's complete list of top 10 health policy issues for 2023, take a look at her opinion pieces uh, on WashingtonPost.com. That's it for today's episode. Dr. Wen, thanks for coming by, and we'll see you soon. In the meantime, you can catch all of our videos and podcasts at ama-assn.org slash podcasts. Thanks for joining us today. Please take care.